With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Ahoy, friends. Thank you for tuning in to Truth and Justice. You are listening to the Friday Follow-Up for Season 14 and the Thanksgiving week. We are back from our long weekend and ready to dive back into this series. I still have a few notes to address, and we have a lot of listener questions. I'm joined by Bob and Janet, and I'm excited to discuss all of this with them. But before we get into that, Bob, housekeeping? Yes, big housekeeping. I said it was a little housekeeping to the YouTube people, just to not give it away, but it's a big housekeeping. I believe we have an official date and time for the instagram live with yeah it's going to be this it sounds like we're going to do two the first one is going to be just me and rabia because colin is dealing with uh it's exam time uh final exams uh, where he's teaching at the college and he says he's just too swamped to to do anything right now so we talked about just me and rabia doing the first instagram live and then we're probably doing like after first of the year after the semester's over another one we're thinking probably with colin so this Sunday, when you're hearing this episode, two days from now at 3 p.m., so it gives you plenty of time to listen to the main episode first, and then at 3 p.m. on Rabia's Instagram, so go follow Rabia on Instagram, we are going to do an Instagram Live talking about uh, the case, the reply briefs, uh, Rabia's kind of input on them, and uh, I don't know, it sounds like we very well may be getting some new information. I don't know that for sure. She's been kicking that around. We'll mm-hmm. find it out, but I am super excited to talk with Robbie, to talk with anybody in an open forum, because as you know, this all started with me wanting to talk to the prosecutors about their take on the case, and they refused, mm-hmm. uh, but Robbie is excited to talk about it, so that will be 3 o'clock Eastern Standard Time this Sunday on Robbie's Instagram. I'm going to try to figure out a way to capture the audio. So that I, for anybody that can't make the live, now it'll it'll still live. If you can't make it live, you can still rewatch it on Robbie's Instagram. You just won't be able to like comment because we'll be taking like live comments while we're doing it. So that will still be there. But I'm gonna try to capture the audio so I can put the audio out as an episode for anybody that maybe doesn't have Instagram or doesn't have a chance to watch it there. I don't know if I can do Instagram live through my computer or if it has to be on my phone. I don't know. You better figure this out. Yeah, I'll mm-hmm. figure it out. Uh, so okay, is, it, is that East Coast time? Sorry. Can you just verify and say one last time? Like, uh, Yes. East, Eastern Standard Time, three o'clock Eastern Standard Time this Sunday. And uh, I don't think we have any other housekeeping. I'm trying to think real quick. No, I think that is it. And so with that, before we get into uh, this week, obviously, we didn't have another we didn't have another main episode. 
Uh, so we opened up questions to whatever you want to talk about. We got a ton of good ones. We've, we've got, I don't know, there's probably at least a dozen of them in there. And uh, after we recorded last week, Zach and I were chatting and he had a few more notes that he didn't get to last week because we were running a little bit long. So uh, I think first thing, so this is still in regards to the second half of the part five episode, however those numbers worked out. Zach had a few more notes about that that he wanted to address. One of them is is pretty impressive. Are we talking about the 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 interview, Jay's interview? Is that the one we're going to start with? The the timeline for Jay's interview? Yeah. Okay. So in the prosecutor's episode, they discuss Jay's first interview, and they say that Jay had a fifty five minute pre interview that was not recorded, mm-hmm. which is, means they just they came in and sat down with him and fifty five minutes long, and they make a big deal about. 55 minutes isn't a very long time. Not enough time possibly to feed him any information. Yes. That's, I mean, they make a big deal about 55 minutes. That's nothing. These take hours. So there's no way that this could feed him any information. Then they say that he then went in and there was a recorded interview and it starts at 1.30 and the interview ends at 2.21. Which is how long? 51 minutes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that seemed very sketchy to me. Yeah, I had never caught that until Zach pointed it out. But yeah, so it's just the hypocrisy of everything, right? But when he points out that it's, it would be impossible for them to have feed at Fenton's story in 55 minutes, but then his entire interview where he shared his entire timeline of everything that he did only took 51 minutes, which was yeah. less time than they had with him before he started interviewing. So I don't know, that, that jumped out to me because they made such a big deal about there's no way 55, these, you know, we talk to clients for hours. There's no way 55 minutes is enough time for them to feed him any information. And then the recorded interview ends up being 51 minutes. Yeah. And, and as I pointed out to you, interestingly enough, when you get to uh, the patrons already know this, but for the, in the main feed, when we get up to episode nine or their part nine, where they're, they're actually breaking down Jay's interview there, they change 55 minutes to 30 or 45 minutes. So by the end of the episode, the pre-interview was 30 minutes. Mm. They literally just changed the amount of time that it that it actually was. I do want to point out, I guess this is kind of a little housekeeping thing. I was just made aware in the YouTube chat by Kate uh, that apparently the prosecutors have announced that they are now going to do a series on the West Memphis 3 case, to which she says looks like Bob gets to do another reply brief series. Oh, that is. They're not going to say they're guilty. That's my prediction. My prediction is they will not say that those guys did it. I, I they, they don't always not. say people are guilty. They've they've covered tons of cases where they're like, these people were not guilty or I yeah. don't think this person did it or I'm team owl, whatever. Like yeah. they're not going to just because they're doing it doesn't mean they're going to say that they're guilty. I hope not. I don't have the energy to listen to their dribble right. anymore and do this, but they need to stop talking about cases <laughs> that I am extremely passionate about. Well, guess what? You're, what you're doing might be really good for them. They, you need to watch out because they might, they're smart people. They might be like, hey, let's just keep picking at Bob because he keeps giving us all this publicity by doing these shows that are about us. No press is bad press or whatever. Yeah, I hope that's not the case. I hope that the, that there is not a bunch of inaccuracies that need to be corrected there because I really don't want to deal with it. And as Sandra points out in the YouTube chat, that one will get Zach fired up too. So that won't just be me. Yeah, that yeah. will come in. Very hot on this. One. Uh, for those of you that don't know that are newer to the channel, the West Memphis Three case is how Zach came to be on this show. Uh, we kind of bonded over his. He's, he's studied that case for years before I started covering it. He got excited about it, started listening to it, and then uh, you know that's kind of how we became friends. Yeah, it is. It really is. Yeah, and then over that the case. Show. Yeah, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, hoping for the best. I think I wrote in on that very first episode, and then Mike read the question. You're like, wait a minute, I know who that is. Yeah, he lives down the street. <laughs> yeah. 
Okay, so sorry, didn't mean to de- derail you there, but yeah, so the, the whole hypocrisy of the uh, 55 minutes isn't enough time to tell a story. Also, it took Jay 51 minutes to tell the story is interesting. Uh, and then you had you had one other note that we didn't get to. So something that I had never heard of before, again, I don't know a lot about this, but is the fact that this whole idea that Hay went to California and that they're, you know, Anon's telling people that Hay went to California and everybody at this party just thinks that that Hay went to California but we find out that really Don is the the source of that information. Yeah, and it was more than that. If memory serves, they completely misstated that evidence. They said in the reading, I believe it was Debbie's statement. It might have been Becky's, but I think it was Debbie's. And they say that Adnan wasn't concerned at all about Hay being missing because he thought she had just gone to California. And then you read her statement, and what it actually says is... Every it doesn't single Adnan out at all. It says everyone wasn't concerned. No one at all was concerned until that party because we all thought she was with Don. So, so first of all, it wasn't Adnan. It was everyone that wasn't concerned. Second of all, they didn't think that she was in California. They thought she was at Don's, and they just completely misstated that. And then she goes on to say the Cal, which which seems like this question must have come up because in the notes it says. She said that, no, the California rumor didn't come up till later, which we find out later that, you know, when you source through all the documents, the California rumor came first from Don talking to the Anihi group, who was the private investigators that were helping out the family. He said that she thought she had gone gone off to California. Then he talks to Debbie. They have that seven hour phone conversation. After that, then Debbie brings the California rumor into the group because that's what she heard from Don. Don was the source of the California rumor. But yeah, they they just that was just one of the instances where, you know, the people that got upset when I said they lied, like they lied. That's not what that's the opposite, the polar opposite of what the record actually said. there. Yeah, everything listening to that episode is is saying that Adnan had he didn't care that that Hay was missing. He didn't seem bothered by the fact that Hay was missing at this party, but they never talk about anybody else at the party. Right. They only talk about him and they say that, well, it's because she's in California. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is absolutely not true. So that was another another good catch. Something we didn't we didn't touch on last week. And with that, I know Janet, we have a we have a series of questions. So we better get right into those. We do, and I just want to start out by apologizing. We had so many questions this week that we couldn't possibly get to them all. So thank you so much for all your engagement, everybody. There are instances in which people kind of ask similar questions, so we try to represent those in some way or other. But um, thank you again so much for engaging. We're going to start with some kind of uh, more general stuff, and then we do have a lot on uh, Adnan and Hay. So uh, let's start with Kathy. Kathy says, how was your Thanksgiving? And that's for all three of us. Kathy, I want to thank you so much for not just wanting to know how one of our Thanksgivings were, but But all all of our Thanksgiving. Well, well, you can go first, Janet. How was yours? Mine was wonderful. I was in Tucson with uh, my family, and it was uh, the weather was beautiful, and I ate lots of delicious stuff and got to see some old friends as well, and um, it was great. And Zach texted us on Thanksgiving, which uh, I would say this is a little bit of a tradition. We, The three of us, one of us will inevitably text on a holiday like Thanksgiving and be like real sweet and say, I'm grateful for you. And then one of us will forget to text everyone back. <laughs> I guess that was you. <laughs> that would have been. Seems right. I appreciate Seems you right. guys. Thankful for you guys. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. Uh, what about you, Zach? I certainly did not accidentally become intoxicated by noon on Thanksgiving. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, it was wonderful. 
That's that's as much as I need to go right. into because as much as you remember. That's as much as I remember from <laughs> Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah. Uh mine was great. We I I actually so I I was sick last week. I was dealing with a cold that just wouldn't go away. Um so it's kind of dealing with that, but actually took I we talked a little bit in the Patreon hour that I, you know, I had thought, "Oh, I've got a couple days off from school and don't have an episode this week. I can use it to kind of get ahead." And uh, I made a conscious decision not to do that to actually my son was in town from from college and and we had a bunch of family around and and my my mother's birthday was this past weekend too which by the way my mother shares a birthday with Ed 8 whose birthday was also on Monday just yesterday when we were recording oh, this nice yep but we had our birthday party this this weekend but I I just I really took the time to just spend some time with the family Thanksgiving was wonderful we didn't have a huge but we had my folks and Becky's mom uh, I had all four of my kiddos home. Um, our oldest Jackson came with his girlfriend, and Quentin was home from college. And of course, Bella and Parker were here. Uh, my niece, who didn't have anywhere else to go, came and and, and hung out with us. Uh, we we had a great Thanksgiving. I was, and uh, and my favorite part of it was when all the old folks left, and it was just <laughs> me and Becky sitting with all of our uh, nearly adult children. And just sitting around, just having a good time, chatting for hours around the dining room table. It could have been better. I loved it. And and thank you to all of you for giving all three of us the opportunity to to take a weekend to just spend that time with family. Because I know, speaking for myself, I know I needed it. So I'm glad that we were. Yeah, it was that. super nice. Yeah. Well, Allison says this is for Bob. Are you still teaching on top of putting out episodes, preparing for the next case, and the many other things you do? It seems like you're juggling a lot. Are you holding up okay? Uh, yeah, I am. So, uh, I'm holding up. Okay. And I'm, yes, I'm still doing all those things. I have cut some things out, uh, for the, the patrons know this, for those of you guys that don't realize, uh, I was running a little quail, quail hatching egg business that I was, uh, raising those quail for a while. Uh, I did sell that business, uh, and just because it was, I needed to cut some time out. And of course I brought Janet's partner, Brandon in to edit the follow-ups that helped a lot. And so, yeah, I've gotten into a much better uh, groove with things. I feel like I've got a nice, a nice balance. I do appreciate you asking. I am juggling a lot, but, but I feel like I've got a good, uh, pretty good grip on things for right yeah, now. Yeah. You also cut out answering your friends on Thanksgiving to tell them how grateful you are and how much you love them. So I'm I glad just, you were able to get that off your plate because I'm sure that was taking it a seemed lot like, of time. It seemed redundant. I mean, that's just, uh-huh. I mean, how hard do you got to try? Sure. I tell you guys all the time how much I love you guys. Yeah. I don't need to do it on a special holiday. That's there lame. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Uh, Lilia says, do you ever work with organizations like the Innocence Project and smaller orgs to find cases? Yeah, all the time. As you guys know, we've worked quite a bit with the Innocence Project in Texas. We work with the Exoneration Project out of Illinois. Uh, we get hitched cases from Innocence Organization. As a matter of fact, I had a, a meeting this is last month with an Innocence Organization that was pitching a couple cases to do as kind of mini seasons. I've still, I, I haven't had too much time to really dig into the cases. They were, they were just... I think both of the people, both of the cases are innocent. I don't know how comfortable I, well, I'll just tell you, like one of them was a, was a sexual assault case. And I just, it's a good case. I really think the guy's, the, the guy is innocent, but I just kind of, as a rule, don't like covering those cases because you have, you have a living victim. And, and so if you, you have a living victim and then now I'm going to go make a very public podcast saying, Hey, this thing that you, that you said happened to you that did happen to you that you think was this guy. I'm now going to come out and say it wasn't this guy that you got. The, mm-hmm. It's just, I can't put a victim through that. Just some kind of behind the scenes type of stuff that we're, that I do a lot of times with, um, with a lot of case screens that some of the things that we got to go through, but to answer your question. Yeah. Yeah. All the time. A lot of innocence organizations bring us cases a lot. Lucky land. 
Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Jennifer says, and I know you're here too, Jennifer, hello. In wrongful conviction cases, the prosecution tends to rely on witness over actual hard or forensic evidence. The problem is it seems very hard to get the case overturned because even if witnesses recant their testimony, courts usually won't consider that a reason to overturn it. And if there's little forensic evidence collected, then it's really hard to have enough to test. And clearly, the state will fight that too. If you have any thoughts on that topic or knowledge of cases where courts did overturn convictions because of unreliable witnesses or faulty testimony, I'd love to hear more about it. Great question, Jennifer. Well, I mean, one where I hope that's going to happen is in Jesse Eldridge's case. And that's you guys have heard me talk about that many times. How It's frustrating that Jesse is still in prison. In Jesse's case, he was convicted on one solitary piece of evidence. And that one piece of evidence was his brother saying that he witnessed him murdering Kiao Gove who has now recanted and has passed polygraphs with the Conviction Integrity Unit to prove to them that he's telling the truth now that he did make that up. He was he was coerced into doing so by the police. That should, by definition, result in his conviction being overturned, but there haven't been any writs filed with the court yet. The good thing about working with the Conviction Integrity Unit is that you know they're on your side. The bad thing about it is that you kind of you're kind of working on their timeline. So hopefully that'll happen. Other than that, I don't know of any cases specifically, but there are Three of the four cases that the detectives in Adnan's case, Ritz and McGillivary, worked where exonerations came because of their corruption. Three of them were based on false witness statements. The catch is they weren't released. Uh, I'm trying to remember the names. One was Ezra Mabel. Burgess was the last name of one. I can't remember the third one's name. They were all revolving around witness statements that were false witness statements where people had recanted. But that was not the reason that the convictions were overturned. They weren't released based on actual innocence. They were released based on Brady violations Hmm. and corruption by the police. So someone may have to correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I believe it was Ezra Mabel's case was the one where a witness was threatened by Ritz to have her children taken away. She always made, I believe she always maintained that someone else had committed the murder and he Essentially, not essentially, I mean, the way the ruling came down, if I'm thinking of the right case, 
told this witness that if she didn't say that Ezra did it, then he was going to have her children taken away because, of course, she was a person of color with drug issues, I believe, in, in Baltimore. And so he used that to leverage her to say what he wanted her to say, which, again, is why the whole idea that the point that people make, the prosecutors make that, you know, oh, this is some, you know, you're, you're believing some grand conspiracy. In this case, you don't you don't have to wonder if Ritz and McGillivary would coerce somebody into giving false testimony in order to get a conviction because we know that they have done it before. They have been caught doing it before. Circling back to your question. So Ezra wasn't released on actual innocence because the statement was false. He was released on Brady violations, I believe, because there was other exculpatory statements that were withheld that they didn't share with the defense and then the coercion of the other one. So they were like constitutional issues. So it's a little more complicated of a question than just if somebody recants, then does that equal a wrongful conviction? You have to find the constitutional violations within there in order to get the conviction overturned. Yeah, it's like if you're lucky, a sloppy enough job was done that would include witness intimidation. If you don't have enough and you're sort of reaching and intimidating people and threatening them, because we do hear about that. That's certainly not the only time we've heard about an officer taking something in a witness's personal life and using it against them to give the answer that they want. That's just not as uncommon as some would like to think. Um, And then you sort of hope that, you know, maybe the witness recantation is the thing that gets the attention of someone. And then you really have to, like, just get in there and get granular and hope that there is something that the court will pay more attention to when it comes to Brady or, you know, other reasons to overturn. But Jennifer, you're right. It's so frustrating. Yeah. And there is a I'm going to possibly speak out of turn here, but I want to say it's a Fourth Amendment due process violation that can be considered if basically if you're if you were convicted based on false testimony, that that can be used as a due process violation and a constitutional violation in and of itself. It's pretty rare, though. We saw it with like Carrie Max Cook's case, where in order to get an actual innocence exoneration, you have to disprove every element of the state's case. It's not a reasonable doubt standard or a preponderance of evidence standard. You literally have to disprove everything. And in, in Carrie's case, everything, the entire state's case was destroyed, except for one of the elements that was used to convict him was a Smith County sheriff who said, testified that Carrie confessed to him while in an elevator in the middle of his trial. So that was an elevator. And that sheriff had died. And so it was cited in his in the, the order or in the in the judge's ruling that he couldn't disprove that element of evidence. So it gets very complicated to get a an actual innocence exoneration. Pretty much you have to somehow disprove everything, or in most cases when we have that, it's when the evidence actually proves someone else did it. So you find the DNA Michael Moore, uh, Michael Morton, for example, you know, they finally test the evidence on the pair of underwear and find the actual killer's DNA on there. Now we know it was him and therefore it couldn't be him. And then he was exonerated. But it, it's a very difficult task. That's what that's why you see we, we talked about a little bit about this in the Pinion Pine case, you know, what they're going to use in the appeals when they when they file their their state habeas. And it's like there, there's the 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 practical and factual elements of a case where you and I can look at the evidence and say, oh, well, they're innocent. I know that because of this, that has to meet a certain standard for an appeals court. So just because we can look at it logically and practically and see, oh, that means that he probably was innocent or that he was innocent, 
that doesn't necessarily meet the standard. They have to attack from all angles and find the place where they can find a clear cut constitutional violation. Right. Well, let's get into some uh, more specific stuff regarding uh, Adnan or Hay. Ivana says, I just want to ask a general question concerning your relationship with Nick and the captain. We've talked about this before. Um, I was beyond disappointed when they supported the prosecutors on their podcast. Not only did they give them uh, give their platform to once again present their POV, but they actually agreed with them. How can I trust anything they say about other cases they present on their show? Is there something we can do, like write the guys, ask to have the other side presented? Ivana says, am I the only one who can't get past this? You're not, Ivana. I think Daniel said something about uh, it, even in just this most recent Facebook follow-up post. Uh, I think Jesse maybe did, too. But in general, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of chatter about that just on on the internets. And um, I know, Bob, in the past, you've said, I'm not going to invite myself on, but if they want to have me come on to argue the point, uh, I would do it. So I don't know. I know Bob's not going to tell you guys to, like, make noise about it, but uh, I think you should. Uh, I, Bob, well, you, don't have to, a- you can stay out of this if you want. But sure. I mean, that's that was that was uh, irresponsible. And it made me really sad, Ivana, to read. How can I trust anything they say about other cases? That's the kind of the risky thing that you that's a risk you take when you have let someone come on and give a point of view, you know, and it's wrong. I don't know. I don't fault them for that. And here's why. So if, if you listen to the episode and I did, Nick doesn't know a whole lot about the case or he didn't he didn't propose, you know, he, he didn't conduct himself as though he knows a whole lot about the case. They're just bringing on fellow podcasters. They've always been supportive of other podcasters, including mine. And they're bringing them on. There, there's also other things, you know, I, I have, and I'm not saying this would happen. I don't know. There's a lot of times we'll get promotions like. If you're through the same distributor, they might say, sure. hey, could you have somebody from this one on to help them promote their thing or whatever? But if you listen to it, what you did here is Captain pushing back. The, the problem is Cap- Captain knows a lot about the case, but he, he obviously, at least these years later, didn't have a great grasp on it. But there were there were several occasions in there where Captain did try to push back, but he didn't have all the facts necessarily in front of him. And then that ended, you know, he wasn't able to, to make his point. And then the other thing that you have to remember is Captain and Nick aren't investigators, right? That's not their job. And lots of people were convinced and manipulated by the prosecutor. That's why I'm doing the, the reply brief. So I, I, I'm not mad at somebody because they listened to their coverage without a super duper in-depth knowledge of the case and were convinced by their coverage that, because that was their whole point. They're, they were very good at doing that. So I'm not mad at them at all about that. Now, we've just recently started putting ours out on the public feed. I will tell you that I have a great relationship with Nick and Captain. I've been talking to the captain. He's got a, a wrongful conviction case that he sent me that, that he, you know, I, I talked to him at length on the phone a couple weeks ago uh, that he would, that he's thinking would be a great one for truth and justice that he he wants me to cover a case that he's passionate about. But like I said, I'm not going to invite myself on the show. If they asked me to, I would imagine they would want to do that after the series is over if that happens. So all I would say is, Everybody do whatever you want. But for me, like, I, I'm not mad at those guys. They had another podcaster on who who was, they were making some making some noise in the space at that point. They seem to have made, I mean, don't forget, the internet and social media was full of people saying they proved Adnan is guilty. Right. Because people got convinced by them. And again, if you're just taking from what other people said and haven't actually listened to it, I recommend you listen to the episode because Captain is trying to push back on it. He wasn't just accepting what they fed him, but. He didn't have all the facts to ask the right, exact right questions. And Brett and Alice were very quick to put their spin on things when they throw back, you know, their little things on there. I think I mentioned in one of the reply brief episodes where when we were talking about 
Hay's pickup time from school, how in their episode they had pushed it back. They said it was 3.20, which gave a little bit more time for Adnan to do it. And it there, that, that time doesn't exist anywhere on the record. On True Crime Garage, Brett says it was 3.30 was the pickup. So when they're saying these things and speaking with authority, that's all I'll say is, I don't think anybody should be mad at them for that. If you guys want to send them a message, I, like, I feel like an asshole telling people, because I mean, I could just call either one of them and, and talk about it. But yeah, I don't, I don't have any issue if somebody say, hey, you should have Bob on. I could certainly do the same thing, but I'm just, it's just not my style. I'll just wait and see what they want to do, but I'd be happy to do that. And and I would guess that that would probably happen. We've been, we, myself, Nick and Captain have been really good friends for a really long time. And They're I good guys. trust those guys. They're very good guys. Yeah. I guess nobody had the facts in front of them when they had that conversation. So it's not their, it's not their fault. Right. <laughs> no, nobody had facts. Okay. Uh, Robin says, all things track practice. I'm so confused. Has Adnan specifically said that the ride from Hay to the track was a normal thing? If it was normal, why would she not have time that day before she picked up her cousin? If this info isn't from Adnan, then who said it was normal? There's a lot of questions here, but they're all related and they're all good. Was there a call to Adnan's cell phone after track practice asking Jay to pick up? If Adnan has stated that he didn't give Jay the phone to use, has he said how Jay knew when to pick him up? Is there proof or a statement from anyone that Adnan ever called his own cell phone while Jay had it? I don't know if you want to do all of that at once or take it piece by piece, but I'll try to tackle it all at once. And you, rem- if you can remind me if I'm missing something, great. Um, the ride to track practice. So I don't know. I think Adnan may have mentioned that he's gotten rides like around the school. I, I, I don't know for sure if he ever has where that information comes from and where I try to base most of my facts off of. So Adnan's one being accused. So I don't really care what he has to say. I want to know what other uninvolved witnesses with with nothing to lose or nothing to gain have to say. And uh, there was a couple different statements. One in particular that sticks out in my mind was Debbie. Debbie was interviewed and she said that Adnan got rides from Hay almost daily from the front of the school to the back of the school. Mm -hmm. So she's leaving to go pick up her cousin. He would hop in her car and she would cruise him around to the back of the school for, for track practice. So that, that came independent of Jay or Adnan or anybody that came from, from Debbie. I believe there's other couple other people that mentioned the same thing, but that's the one that's sticking up. And I know that because I was, arguing with somebody on Twitter the other day about it. And, and they accused me of lying about that. So I had to grab that screenshot. So I remember specifically that one from Debbie's to, to put on there because I can't ignore people as much as I would like to. <laughs> Terrible at it. Um, I wish you'd get off Twitter. <laughs> I was going to say, it's all so easy when you're just not on it anymore. It was so bad because I was there was there was a there was a guy on there that was talking to me who, who thinks he's guilty, which is fine. But was we were having like a good conversation, like he was asking reasonable questions mm-hmm. and it was being reasonable and we were discussing mm-hmm. facts back and forth and then there was like this one dude i ended up i ended up blocking him but it was just like it's like having a toddler grabbing at your leg when you're trying to have an adult conversation with somebody this guy throwing all this bullshit out anyway so that's where that came from as far as the phone like adnan is that wasn't part of the question but adnan has never said that he gave jay the phone in fact he specifically said he didn't give it to him it just was in the glove box the call to pick him up from track practice i personally don't think there ever was a call Adnan, to my knowledge, has never addressed this. But if you look at the call log, people will say, the prosecutors say, and I think I've even heard like uh, on the undisclosed team say, they assume there was a call drawn from memory somewhere at like 518 or 508 or 515, somewhere around there. They assume that incoming call was the come get me call. I don't think that's true. Track practice usually went to 530. Just tell someone when to be there. Yeah. And there's more calls after that. What we have is an outgoing call from the phone to Krista at 538. Uh, since track practice generally got over at 530, to me, I think he just told Jay 
pick him up at 5.30, and he just showed up and picked him up at 5.30. I don't think that, I, I personally don't think there was a call to pick him up at track practice. But again, this narrative, and, and this is something that, that we'll get into, when you get to part nine, where we get into the actual statement analysis of Jay's interview, there's a huge, huge fuck up in that narrative that McGillivary was creating. And if you're not on Patreon and you're not all the way caught up, I have all the documents that have been discussed all the way up through part nine on the website. So you can go read Jay's transcript. You can do all, any of that if you go to season 14 on the website. And it's pretty obvious that this is not Jay's story. It's McGillivary's story. And that's not tap, tap, tap. That's not any kind of, it, literally, you hear him saying it. So this is what Jay actually says. And if you're on the fan page, you saw that I made this post. And for those of you that haven't heard part 9.5 yet, you may have been wondering where that came from. But what Jay actually said, so the first interview, he just says he took Adnan back to school. That's all he says. In the second interview, he says, after they go to Patapsco again and smoke weed and everything, that he took Adnan back to school. And that's all he says. And he's asked, why did he take him back to school? And Jay says, to be seen by co-students, I guess. Nothing about track practice. And then he's asked, where did he drop him off? And Jay says he dropped him off in the front circle and to go in the front door. That's when I realized something. And that's one of the great things about doing this reply brief series, going through all of this again, is I finding things that I've missed. I never caught that before. As a matter of fact, I sent that to Rabia and asked her, has anybody ever caught that before? And to her knowledge, no one had, at least not that she remembered, that Jay said he dropped him off at the front door, at the front circle of the school. And what that indicates to us is Adnan was on the indoor track team. They normally practiced indoor. That season ran from November to February. They only went outside and ran if it was above 50. Coach Sai said if it's above 50, that's a great time to get outside and run. They would go outside and run. Generally, practice was held indoors. What became very clear is that McGillivary, at that point, didn't know that practice was outside that day. So he leads Jay into saying very specifically, where'd you drop him off? Describe it. And what we haven't talked about yet, and we don't talk about, so I'll mention it here, Jay gave a third, well, I think there was a bunch more interviews, but after the second recorded interview, three days later, there's another interview where Jay does a drive along and there's notes for that that are up on the website as well, where they're marking, where Jay's driving them, showing them everywhere they went. And it's insane and asinine if you follow these places to try to make the timeline fit. But he specifically says, we go down Security Boulevard, we go up uh, Woodlawn Drive to the front circle, I drop Adnan off at the front door of the school. The problem is, Track wasn't at the front of the school. Track wasn't at the school at all. It was all the way down at the track, which is behind the school, another quarter mile down the hill that way down there. So that was a huge mistake that was made. So that's how it goes. Jay says he dropped him off at school, front circle, the front door to be seen by co-students. Then McGillivary says, was he there to be at some kind of event? And then Jay says, oh yeah, track practice. So, th- so that's where that all comes out. It wasn't until Jay's second time through the second interview on McGillivray's prompting, do we ever hear about track practice that he kind of nudged him into saying that there was track practice, but he gets the, the location wrong. Getting back to what, what you were talking about, just kind of putting some of that inf- information out there. As far as the pickup goes, Jay also says Adnan called him to pick him up. And what I have always said, what I've said all the way back in 2015, where did he call him from? He's down at the track. There's no phone down at the track. He doesn't have his cell phone. So if track doesn't get over till 530 or even say five o'clock, he's got to get all the way back up. Like none of that makes sense until I realized that Jay said he dropped him off and picked him up both 
at the front of the school. And so the call that Jay says happened came from the payphone inside the front of the school, not from down at the track. So, which again, cements in, in my mind that there was no call to pick him up. I mean, the whole thing is made up. But we do know from Will, who was interviewed, one of the one of the track teammates who was interviewed on Serial, he said, I don't know if he picked him up from track that day because Jay used to pick him up from track all the time. So for all of you people out there that say, well, there's this one time. Why would he give him his phone and his car? Well, he did it all the time, according to his own, his own teammates. He couldn't say if it was that day because Jay would very often have Adnan's car while he was at track practice, and then Jay would pick him up. So it seems like there was probably, that's a really long-winded answer. Well, it is a long question, so you deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could also see how someone could say then they were really close friends because if it happened all the time, then they were spending a ton of time together and therefore they must have been really close friends. Yeah, maybe, but who cares? I just want to quickly address, there was one thing in there that we didn't really touch on, which is that Robin said, if it was normal for this to happen, why wouldn't she have time the day that she picked up her cousin? If she was always picking up her cousin and she was always dropping it non off, why wouldn't she have time? And the answer is because she had something else to do. And that right. is what we were all wondering what that was, where she went, because it was a small window of time. It was small enough that she didn't have time to give it a ride. If you exactly. put everything into the context of what we've heard from witnesses. Yeah, so exactly right. So some something came up. She said that that she had something else to do. That's why she and even we hear in uh, either Becky or Debbie's statement that their friend Takira also asked her, "Hey, could I get a ride?" And she says, "I can't. I got. I've got something to do." They said in one of the statements, I think Debbie said that she told her she was going to see Don at the mall, which doesn't make a lot of sense because she wouldn't. She definitely wouldn't have had time to go to the mall and then get back to pick up her cousin to see Don. So so who knows? But she did say she had something to do. Another thing that I want to point out that just popped in my head that's for for the Adnan asked for a ride, and that's a, why would he ask for a ride? Here's a little circular argument for you. So they explain away Becky saying that she witnessed, hey, tell Adnan that she couldn't give him a ride because something came up and she had something to do and she saw him walking away in a different direction. We get around that. Debbie sees Adnan in the office and then sees also, hey, at the front door getting ready to leave. All these things that they say, well, they must have the wrong day. Let's, let's look at specifically Becky. The same people that say Becky must have had the wrong day because that's what fits their narrative also say that it was odd for Adnan to ask for a ride. But do you see the circular logic there? So their their reasoning for Becky getting that wrong is because Adnan asked Hay for a ride on a different day. But they also say Adnan only asked her for a ride on that one day. It's interesting logic. And one last thing that I want to add on while we're talking about track and I'm just feeling kind of zing-zangy today, whatever that means. Did, <laughs> I don't know if anybody knew this. I did a ton of research. The reason I'm spewing all this out is because I did a ton of research on the track practice over this weekend. Mm -hmm. How many people do you think were on the track team? Can't have been that many. Was it a huge team? We heard Brett and Alice saying that you know they wouldn't have noticed Adnan because all of the students that were, that were Muslim wouldn't have been running. And he wasn't one of the best athletes, so they wouldn't have been. They wouldn't have noticed him there. There's two coaches. Let's take a guess. I'm gonna say twelve. It seems like it's supposed to be a big school. So, I, and the way they're talking, I would say there's forty plus. The way they talked on the prosecutors, yes. eight, eight, including I Adnan. Knew it. I was afraid I was being generous when I said twelve. Yeah, there were eight players on the track team, 
Adnan was the only Muslim one on the track team that was that was fasting during Ramadan. So now when you start to think about them not noticing, also in Coach Sai's statements when he talks to private investigator, you go through all of his all of his statements, he actually says it's either him or Coach Russell, I don't remember which one of them said it, said very specifically that no one walked down late from the school. They would have noticed someone walking down late from the school, wow. which becomes a big fucking problem. When your actual story, not the one where everybody just says Jay dropped Adnan off at track practice, but when the story is actually that Jay dropped Adnan off up at the school, there's only eight players, only eight members of the team. Seems a heck of a lot less likely that he slid in an hour, hour, hour and a half late from the school and didn't get noticed. It's preposterous. It's preposterous. All right. Okay. Let's see. We are, we still have a lot to cover. I'm going to jump around a little bit. I want to talk about Kay. Kay had a bunch of really interesting notes. Some of them are a bit long, and it was I I wanted to kind of truncate them, but I also felt like there was just a lot of really important nuggets in here. I apologize for using nuggets for those of you who don't care for that word. I don't think I care for that word, but I said it anyway. So, Kay, I'm actually going to start with this one. Is Leakin Park along the route between the high school and where Hay was supposed to pick up her cousin? If Hay pulled over somewhere to change her skirt while sitting in her car, she could have possibly been attacked there. Dragged into the park, laid flat, that could explain the lividity, and then the murderer could have returned later in the dark of night to bury the body. Obviously just a theory, just wanted to see if that sparks anything with anyone. It's definitely not on the way. The school is is north-northeast from the high school. Leakin Park is southeast. Uh, It's definitely not on that route. And I have a whole, t- I'm trying, we're already, way- I, I said we were going to be done by nine o'clock and I'm already running long. Guess who's responsible for that? That's me because I talk too much. <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'll try to speed that. But I, I have, here's the thing, the, the whole, hey, changing your skirt thing does provide an, an opportunity for someone to intercept her, which opens up another, another range of possibilities of, of suspects. I have a hard time believing it because of the car, mm-hmm. right? If she, if she was intercepted somewhere, you know, caught and abducted. Then, then how and why did they take the car? It, it, to, to me, everything about this is personal cause homicide, someone with a known personal relationship. But uh, to answer your question, I'm going to stop talking so long. To answer your question, no, it's not on the way. So it would be a weird thing for her to have driven there to go change. Okay. Kay also has a, a, a long and very interesting part about the car and officers from a different area running the plates do you want to get into that now that almost feels like it could work in an upcoming reply brief follow-up because i think we do talk about the car a bit more yeah let, because we're long and we haven't covered that stuff yet let's go ahead and, and buzz past that one for now let's hang on to that and Kay, i don't know i just want to make I, I don't want to forget it because it's really interesting and good so i don't want to i hope that i will remember that and bring it back up when it's timely y'all can help me remember that Okay. then Kay also says regarding the anonymous tip to police, obviously, we don't know who made the call or for what reason. But if Adnan never said those words to Yasser, that if he ever did anything to Hay, etc. And if the call came in three days after the body was found, it seems possible that the call could have been made by someone connected to the murder who was trying to misdirect the police, possibly because they had a known connection to Hay. Do we know if, for example, Bilal knew Yasser or if he was friends with him or something? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, all we can do is speculate about that. Personally, I think that it was a game of telephone from if you read the interview with with Yasser. It sounded like he said to someone else that he thought that if Adnan had done something like that, that that's he would have put the car in the lake. And then someone else heard that and then told the police that Adnan said that to Yasser directly. And then Yasser said, no, that's not what happened. 
So that's what it seems like to me is people just kind of talking, speculating, and it, it got spun spun into that. Hmm, I don't know about that. It's possible that it could have been used to, you know, for someone misdirecting. It just we just don't don't know. I mean, so is that theory possible? Absolutely. I I don't know how to how to figure it out at this point. But uh, as, as far as Bilal's connection to Yasser, I don't know. Okay. Bessica says, did any of the persons of interest live on the route Hay would have taken from Woodlawn to the Early Learning Center? You may have to correct me if I'm wrong. I think you might know this better than me, Janet. But I believe that Alonzo Sellers did live somewhere up near that area. Or like, had a relative who was right near there. Something like that. But also, he was he was technically still clocked into work until 4 o'clock. Right. Veronica says, could you, and I rephrase this a little bit just for time, Veronica, could you go over Adcock's call to Adnan the night Hay was reported missing and how he knew to call Adnan? Yeah, so that that was because I believe the story goes, Adcock comes over around 5, 530. You know, they're, they're worried about Hay. Young, her brother, gets out Hay's diary, and he thinks that she's probably with her boyfriend, Don, opens the diary to the page with all the Dons on it, sees the phone number. And calls that number thinking he's calling Don, but it was actually Adnan on the phone. Uh, so then I believe then he gave that number to Adcock to call Adnan. Okay. And then just kind of connected to that, Sue says, Hey's brother called Adnan, though he thought it was Don's number. It was just covered uh, after 6 p.m. And she hadn't picked up the cousin at daycare at 3 or 3.15 p.m. When was she formally reported as a missing person? Uh, Sue apologizes if this was mentioned. Sue, that's why we do these. We gotta, Sometimes you got to circle the facts a bunch of times before they stick so yeah i'd have to go back to the episode to to get the exact time on the report we did cover it but it, it, it was during that so around in the five o'clock hour uh it was what happened you know so somewhere in the five o'clock hour is when adcock you know they called the police adcock came and started his missing person report okay Lori says, is Hayes' murder actually being reinvestigated and by who? Or is this a situation where they realize the evidence used will not hold for a retrial? So they're just vacating the conviction, but now they're done. That's the whole reason we're doing this. So Marilyn Mosby declared that she believes Adnan is innocent. She vacated the conviction and declared that she and her office are reinvestigating this case. Then, of course, we have all these appeals that are going on right now. It's up to the Maryland Supreme Court trying to decide if Adnan's conviction should stay overturned or if it, it should be reinstated. But that, you know, in the midst of that, this whole prosecutor series comes out. So what we had was a, but you had, you had a, you had a DA that was vowing to investigate the case and you had a ton of public pressure for that office to reinvestigate the, the case and figure out who did it. And they were doing that. Like they were looking at the other, they were testing DNA. That's how they found the Brady violations where Yurik had, had hid evidence from the, from the defense. And then all of a sudden, the, the pressure gets snatched away by by these people coming through and trying to convince all the people that were applying the pressure that you're on the wrong side of, of justice here, Adnan's guilty. And then Marilyn Mosby's out now, Ivan Bates is in, there's a new prosecutor. I don't know what he's going to do, but what I do know is what it's going to take for it to be reinvestigated is continued pressure. Not just a bunch of people screaming on the internet, but people who have a clear understanding of this case. And can make the argument, I, I say this in the later reply briefs, the one that's coming out this Sunday for the patrons, I say it over and over again. That's why, you know, that t-shirt that, that I made that I want to put out that says, ask me how I know Adnan's innocent. There's a very specific purpose I'm doing this. It's not just to convince you. It is to correct the record. And I'm trying to, this sounds arrogant, and I don't mean it to sound that way, but I'm trying to teach you what the record actually says in a digestible manner so that you can articulate and defend the fact that Adnan is innocent so that we can intelligently put that pressure 
on to the state's attorney's office to investigate this case to find out who actually killed Heyman Lee. It's going to take that pressure and it's going to take more than noise. It's going to take intelligent, articulated evidence. And that's that's what I want out of our audience. Our, the Truth and Justice audience, the Truth and Justice Army for all these years has been such a powerful force in providing truth and justice and, and, and pushing that, those issues and putting on that pressure. And I believe in all of you that you can help get this done, but you have to have a full understanding of what really happened and what the record really says. I love everything you just said. That's a bit of a mic drop. I think Zach just acted that out. Again, it just brings up for me, you know, just it's just so frustrating and it's so disingenuous when people say that people who are interested in wrongful convictions are focused only on the person who's been wrongfully convicted when we have made it clear time and time again that we're not just defending Adnan. We are defending Hay. We are asking for the right thing to be done and for the right person to be held responsible. No one's saying let's walk away and have a picnic if Adnan is, you know, free. No one is saying that. That's that's 50% of what we're here to do. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production. All music for the show is created and composed by Shane Yoder at PutThemInASong.com. The font you see on all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com designed, created, manages, and maintains our website, Truth and Justice Pod, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. Thank you to our volunteer transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Courtney Wimberly, Erica Cantor, Melissa Cardenas, Kaywood Yomnick, and Danielle Rohr. And as always, thank you to all of you for your engagement and your support. If you like the show and you want to support us, you can do that in a number of ways. The number one way for you to support our work is to become a patron at patreon.com slash truthandjustice. If you join our Patreon, not only will you be financially supporting our work, but you'll also get something for your pledge. For just $5 per month, you'll get all episodes ad-free and also a video version of the Friday follow-ups that include an hour-long pre-show chat exclusive to our patrons. Other levels will get you a Truth and Justice Army t-shirt, Truth and Justice hats, and even the opportunity to co-host a Friday follow-up episode. Just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice to sign up. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. It doesn't cost you a penny, and it goes a long way towards making the show more visible. If you have a case that you'd like us to consider covering, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page, follow us on Instagram, or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters out there, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found at Bob Ruff Truth, Janet can be found at Janet Varney, and Zach is at Z to the Q. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Janet Varney. And this has been Truth and Justice.